Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you for the gift of adoration. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Eucharist, Jesus, for your living and real presence in the Eucharist as Eucharist. I ask, Lord, that you would increase our faith and our fervor to encounter you, to go to you, and to be transformed by you in Eucharistic adoration. Lord, um, I repent on behalf of all my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ for our neglect of you, for our ingratitude, for your presence, your enduring, abiding presence, and for the sacrilegious and blasphemous ways that we have related to uh, the act of receiving Holy Communion. Lord, forgive us. Have mercy on us. And I ask, Lord, for a revival, a Eucharistic revival, that we would uh, truly desire to, to honor you, to honor you in, in the most fitting ways. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the month of June is dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. You know that if you've been listening to the program. The feast is on June 24th. <laughs> That's the last time I will humble myself in referencing that. But it is, uh, it's also the month where we have an incredible feast dedicated to the body, the real presence of Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity in uh, in the Eucharist or as Eucharist. And that's the Feast of Corpus Christi. All right, so that's coming up. That The Corpus Christi Sunday is coming up in just over a week. Well, it's a week from Sunday. And it's going to be a time to uh, put uh, Christ's presence in the Eucharist and as Eucharist um, in front and center stage, front and center stage for us as Catholics. So I, I mentioned, I said at the beginning of the, the program, a pretty strong statement that the, uh, the devotion, the, the commitment to go and be with the Lord in adoration has been the most uh, life-changing uh, and transformative uh, devotional practice that has been part of my life. And, uh, I, you know, I, I want to say that there are probably ways in which the, the rosary, maybe unbeknownst to me, has also been uh, like right there, <laughs> you know, one, two, the one, two punch uh, in terms of transformative power. But today's on said, I'm going to focus on adoration. And I have, I have an outline that I put together because it's something that I haven't found often um, taught. And, and that's how do you go deeper into the act of Eucharistic adoration? How do I grow in my own spirituality of Eucharistic adoration? It seems like it is operating at more or less a simple level. You go in and you're there and you're present in front of the Blessed Sacrament, um, either exposed in a monstrance or there in the tabernacle. But what I've found is that there's a way in which the Lord will draw you deeper into the spiritual life, if you go and be with him in adoration. And the the, the specific disciplines and spiritual attitudes that, that will happen, that will, that will occur if you're committed to adoration, are actually really fundamental in growing in the spiritual life. So I'm going to throw that out to you. If you want to grow in your spiritual life, if you want to go deeper in your spiritual life, consider seriously making a commitment to regular times of Eucharistic adoration. And then come back and tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> so I, I point to the gift of Eucharistic, an encounter with Christ in the Eucharist, um, as the turning point, one of the pivotal moments in my spiritual life. It, it happened when I was uh, in the summer of my after my freshman year in college, and my faith was being challenged uh, in a, by a couple of friends who grew up in Catholic homes but left the Catholic Church and became fundamentalist Christians, and they were challenging me about my Catholic faith, saying that it was um, not Christian, that it was a false religion, and they were talking about a personal relationship with Jesus and quoting scripture. These things were foreign to me, 
I had grown up in a very traditional Catholic home. So I went to my priest, who um, was a family friend. We were very active in the church. So I went and knocked on the door of the rectory, and, and he had me uh, you know, come in, and it was connected to the, to the church. It was still one, uh, at that time, one of those things where the priest lived right there at the church, and um, told him about the scriptures and about personal relationship with Jesus. And he helped me understand the scriptures, and that unfolded over time. But I want to focus on part two, which was the pivotal moment. And that was when he said to me, well, personal relationship with Jesus, what do you think about Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist? And now I'd been an altar boy and for a number of years. So I'm like, well, I know, you know that that's Jesus, his real presence. But he said, no, no, this is, Jesus is really here. This, this, it, don't think of the host in the tabernacle. Think of the living presence of Jesus Christ. He's really there. He brought me out to the, to the chapel where there was a, a tabernacle. And, and he said, Jesus Christ is present as Eucharist. The living, risen, glorious, glorified Lord is present there in the tabernacle as you as the Eucharist, and if you ask him, he will show himself to you. And I know a number of folks that have listened to Sound Insight over the years or have heard me give talks. Uh, I tell the story in, in a way that is a bit dramatic and, and a little bit humorous, where uh, I'm left alone and I I go and I sit. And you know, remember now I'm 18 years old and I'm, I'm sitting there in this dark chapel and looking at the the tabernacle and and. Again, this is a foreign concept to me that Jesus Christ, he knows I'm there. He knows that I'm sitting there. And if I ask him, he'll reveal himself to me. He'll show himself to me. This was not something that I was uh, familiar with. And so when I asked him to show himself to me, I always joke that the tabernacle door opened, but it didn't. But I have to tell you, there was a mercy. There was a grace. There was a gift given that night. It was pivotal, and and the the reality that faith brings light. Okay, the fat the reality that faith isn't about believing something that you can't see, but you have the 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 gift of belief. No, faith brings light. There's it's called the light of faith, and what was stirred into flame in my heart in that moment of here's the word encounter was that. I encountered Jesus Christ. He, he had always been present, but I wasn't present to his presence. And he broke in. He broke open my life, my heart, my ability to see. And I knew that he was there. And it was like a fire inside of me. And it was so powerful. And over time, what I came to realize was that I didn't encounter Christ for the first time. It was in a new way. It was at a new level, a new depth. And it worked retroactively. It cast a light backwards into my years growing up where all of a sudden there was this recognition, like, Lord, you had been with me all along. You had also given me other special moments of grace in, at Mass, in, in my prayer time, and in, in my alone time. You had been visiting me. You had been um, speaking to my heart. You had been present to me. But all of that came because of this big, bright light of faith that came alive in me. And it was, it was game-changing. It was life-changing, where all of a sudden I just had this fire, this devotion, this fervor to know Jesus more. And so the scriptures became a really important place for me. And I would just read the scriptures, read the scriptures. And I was especially drawn to John 6, which is the bread of life and where Jesus especially focuses on the gift of his real presence in the Eucharist, his real presence as Eucharist. And I would be drawn back to adoration. And you know what else happened when that when when I would go to adoration and be quiet in his presence and, and pray to him and talk to him and listen to him is that when I would go to mass, everything changed. It was, it was like, wait a minute now. It was 
the very real presence of Christ as Eucharist that had been so game-changing when I was in his presence. And now I'm at Mass when bread and wine come up to the altar, and what comes down is the real true presence of Jesus. And he invites me to come forward, and he wants to be received by me, in to receive him into me. And that was just, that was so powerful. There's a, a wonderful quote that um, I, I love that talks about um, this reality of, um, of this connection between the, the Eucharist um, and the Mass. And it comes from John Paul II. He says that the worship of the Eucharist outside of the Mass is of inestimable value for the life of the church. <laughs> what does that mean? It's you can't even estimate like how high, how uh, important of a value, how how valuable it is for the life of the church to worship Jesus present as Eucharist outside of the mass. He says this practice repeatedly praised and recommended by the magisterium, the official teaching of the church, is supported by the example of many saints. Particularly outstanding in this regard was St. Alphonsus Liguori, who wrote, Of all devotions, that of adoring Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is the greatest after the sacraments, the one dearest to God, and the one most helpful to us. Now, you know, St. Alphonsus Liguori probably wrote more on the Blessed Mother and on the rosary than any other individual saint. And yet he puts Eucharistic adoration as the greatest of all devotions after the sacraments themselves, the one dearest to God and the one most helpful to us. And then John Paul II, St. John Paul II continues, the Eucharist is a priceless treasure by not only celebrating it, but also by praying before it outside of Mass we are enabled to make contact with the very wellspring of grace. So think about that, the wellspring of grace, that we're enabled to make contact with Jesus, the wellspring of grace, the source of all gifts and graces that he is ready to pour into our lives. He's waiting for you in adoration. He's waiting for you. And it's, it, it's not just St. John Paul II, but so many other saints Talk about the power and importance of adoration. I'll, I'll give one more um, to Venerable uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Hope to God one day, blessed Fulton Sheen and then Saint. He, if you know anything about his life and his particular devotional practice, you must know that he has become famous probably even during his life, for the fact that he would give an hour to Eucharistic adoration every day of his priesthood. And this quote is, is related to that. He says, when I stand up to talk, people listen to me. They will follow what I have to say. Is it any power of mine? Of course not. St. Paul says, what have you that you have not received? And you who have received, why do you glory as if you had not? But the secret of my power is that never in 55 years missed spending an hour in the presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. That's where the power comes from. That's where sermons are born. That's where every good thought is conceived. So, I've got several other quotes here um, that I'll I'll get to, but just to start with that, I mean we're we're getting some pretty heavy hitters here, saying some um, enormously um, like uh, weighty things about the the power and importance of Eucharistic adoration, and and you know what, it's gonna take an effort. It's gonna mean making a commitment. It's not going to be something that is just automatic and easy and uh, going to just naturally flow into our lives. It's like getting up for a prayer time. It's like getting to, to Mass regularly, if not daily. The idea of fitting in, or not fitting in, 
making my life conform to the reality of Eucharistic adoration, that's a big deal. If we want to be useful to God in this moment in history, if we want to experience cleansing, healing, and spiritual growth. I'm going to explore this more in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. This is Tom Curran, and I'm super excited to be here. So as we are looking at the reality of Eucharistic adoration, it's the month dedicated to the most sacred heart of Jesus. I'm going to walk you through the idea of going deeper into Eucharistic adoration. Um, And I've got six stages, what I call six stages of adoration. And again, this is something that if you've listened to me on Sound Insight, you've said, but it's one of those things where it's worth hearing again. It's worth uh, reflecting on again. And the first stage is really connected to the beginnings of a commitment like this. And it's the external stage, the six stages of Eucharistic adoration that I, I have developed. And, and by developing them, what I mean is I've really read off of the tradition of Eucharistic adoration, spiritual writers on Eucharistic adoration, and then my own experience of Eucharistic adoration. So that's where these six stages come from. And they're all E words. So there you go for a little bit of a alliteration. There's the external stage. There's the stage of exertion then extension, then excess, then the stage of being exposed, and then the Eucharistic stage. So those are the six stages. And what I mean by them, I'm going to unfold in the course of the program. The external stage is the stage where I'm in the presence of the Lord, but I am not present to the Lord. I'm in the presence of the Lord, but I am not present to the Lord. This is the beginning stage. And this is the stage of sort of bewilderment. Like we go into adoration and we're like, what am I supposed to be doing here? And okay, you're present here, Lord. And um, okay, there you are. You're in the monstrance, right? The monstrance is often looks like a sun or sometimes a church. And the host is there displayed, made manifest. And a monstrance comes from a Latin root that means to show or to demonstrate. The Lord is showing himself to you. He is demonstrating his presence to you. And he is asking you to open yourself to him. However, when we come into adoration, if if we're distracted, if we are um, like just like uh, all um, just having a hard time slow our, slowing our brains down, it's hard to be present. And so we're physically present, but we're not present too. We're we're there, but we're not really present too. Meaning we're not really attentive. We're not really there like acknowledging I'm in the presence of the the risen Lord Jesus, the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. And and you know what? That is a perennial temptation. It just is. So we're present but we're unaware of the personal presence of Jesus Christ. And and the funny thing is, is that the monstrance means to show or unveil and oftentimes we're present, but we are veiled or covered over. Uh, if you see the um, one of the, there were certain adoration chapels I would go to, if you were going to leave the adoration chapel and no one else was there, and it was a perpetual adoration chapel, then it was your job to cover over, to veil the presence of Christ, for he ought not to be left alone in an unveiled fashion. And so there's that idea of being covered. And, and you know, that can be us. That's the perennial te- temptation is when we're lacking in receptivity to the moment, lacking in being receptive to this moment that we're in. Like, okay, am I open to what's happening here? And, and, and what will happen is if you make a commitment to coming to adoration, you'll, you'll find yourself moving from the idea of being present in adoration as something foreign, it'll move to be something more natural, something more habitual, to something that you even long for, you hunger for, you move to. So that that's what will happen. It's kind of like working out, right? When you work out, um, it, at the beginning, it's kind of really awkward. Like I'm working out with this trainer and 
my movements are very awkward, trying to learn to, to move in, in accord with the proper form of different exercises. It's like that. So don't be surprised if you move into a time of Eucharistic adoration that you're in that external stage. You're in the presence of the Lord, but you're not really present to the Lord. And that leads to the second stage, and that's the stage of exertion. It, well, you have to put in an effort, right? So the battle of prayer, that section of the catechism, has a very poignant sentence in one of the paragraphs where it says that prayer is both a gift of grace and requires a determined effort on our part. Prayer is both a gift of grace, it's God's gift to us first, but it also calls forth from us a determined effort. A determined effort if we're going to grow in prayer, if we're going to access what it is the Lord has for us in a prayer time. So if we're going to make efforts in adoration, if we're going to make the take the steps, the determined effort to pray, what does that look like? Well, I like to use the image of what are you doing when you are um, getting the house ready for a visitor? Okay, so if you have a, like we're getting ready for a graduation party this Sunday at our house for our daughter, Ariana. Uh, graduating from high school. And there are three things that we are working on pretty intensively over the course of the week. But you also get this if you're having guests come over, visitors come over, or even if it's just what we call around here, getting the house back to square one. If you want to get a level set to square one, you're taking out the trash, you're putting things away, things that don't belong, and then you're restoring the order of stuff that like, oh, this furniture goes back here. These pillows uh, go into this spot. These chairs are over here. So you're taking out the trash. You're putting things away that are not supposed to be out. And you're restoring order for the things that are out that and are meant to be out. And that is, that's an awful lot like taking steps to go deeper into adoration. Okay, how? All right, what's the first one? I said take out the trash. So taking out the trash is repentance. I'm going to tell you, if you want to grow in your capacity to focus, right, that idea of just kind of being in a fog and not being aware of the personal presence of Christ, the best place to start is when you come into adoration and after you properly bow before his holy presence, you get into your pew, uh, <coughs> you get to your seat, and then you kneel down, kneel down, um, kneel on a kneeler if you need to, or kneel on the floor, it will help focus, and repent, but repenting is like taking the garbage out, right, there's so much garbage we take in in the course of our day, in the course of our week, that when we come in, in the presence of the Holy Lord, a first appropriate step is to repent. And clearly you can repent of things that you are carrying in your mind and heart that you're ashamed of, you know you're guilty, and you can repent of those specific sins. Um, you can renounce those sinful attitudes. But even if you're not aware, even if you're like, Lord, I'm, I'm not really conscious of, of real sins right now. Repent of that. Repent for a lack of awareness for the sins that are part of your life. Often we're, what we're more unaware of are sinful attitudes and sinful ways of looking at things. That's, a, that's your, your mindset, your consciousness. And that required, that's a, that's a gift of, of conversion that the Lord brings about. But it's our blind spots. You know that you have blind spots. Maybe you don't because you call them blind spots. But it, it's those spots in our lives where when we look at other people and we, we think to ourselves when like, we see them in some kind of public setting, social interaction or something, does that guy have any idea how he's coming across right now? Does that couple have any idea what is showing up when they treat each other like that in public? And the answer is probably not. 
Not as much as they would imagine because look at what they're doing in public. Look what they're saying. Look how they're acting in public. So they, ha they don't have the heightened awareness to say, this is not good. This is not honoring. This is not, it's a blind spot. So we have blind spots. So one of the things that you can do in adoration is, Lord, I don't want to have parts of my life veiled, even to myself. If I'm, if I'm dishonoring you, if there are parts of my life that need to be cleansed, I repent. I repent, Lord. Let me tell you, please try that. And you will find your capacity to focus in adoration will grow. You will come out into a greater sense of God's presence, presence of the divine, holy presence of Jesus Christ as Eucharist, if you begin with repentance. Garbage in, garbage out. Get that garbage out. And then the second part of the exertion that you have to make is to put things away, things that don't belong there. Right? So taking out the trash, repentance, putting things away that, that, that don't belong there. That, those are distractions. Those are distractions. So for instance, when I have, um, I pray in, in our, 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 our room where we have the enthroned sacred heart and immaculate heart, where we have some um, holy images and, and some icons and candles, and I have my, my prayer books. If I get into the room, and there are pillows on the floor, and there are some books out, like from schoolwork and stuff like that. I put stuff away. I, I get that stuff out of the room. Why? It's a distraction. It, it's harder to reflect if I've got stuff that doesn't belong there that's in the space. And what does that look like in adoration? Well, what's happening that might pull you away from your ability to focus on the Lord in prayer. Distractions, of course, distractions. You can easily think of a distraction like a fly buzzing around. And here's the, the insight that comes from our tradition is that all that happens in adoration, even distractions, all that happens, even distractions, is an opportunity to turn back and give it over to the Lord. So if you get a distraction, something happens, like something bubbles up in your mind, you remember it, you start thinking about something, you just smile, you just turn back to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you're at the center of this time. And you know, I thank you. I thank you even for these distractions. I thank you for prayer, even when distractions come up. Because, Lord, in this time of distraction, I've been brought back to you. And I've made you my point of focus again. And so you can even thank God for a prayer time that involves distractions. And here's what you'll discover. You'll discover that as the habit of prayer grows in you, as the habit of coming apart and making time for adoration and being in the presence of the Lord externally and then making the exertion to take out the, the trash and now you're putting things, these distractions away, you'll find that distractions subside. They will subside, and then they'll increase. <laughs> and then they'll subside. And then they'll increase. So it's a really interesting thing where you can become more and more immune to distractions as you are growing in your maturity of Eucharistic adoration. Uh, there's one great saint who said something like, I'm here for you, Lord, and if I spend my entire hour simply battling against distractions, I'll do so lovingly in your presence. It's your hour, Lord, whatever you would have for me. Now, I will say this. Part of what distractions come from is how we live our lives. So if we live our lives in a way where we're giving ourselves over to the world, the flesh, and the devil, we give ourselves over to the worries and preoccupations of the world, we give ourselves over in our imagination, in our thought life, to things that are really bothering us, then you know what? We are just pouring gasoline on the fire of distractions. And so part of what distractions can reveal, what this is what the catechism says, is what we're attached to. Let me say that again. The distractions that show up aren't just merely a sign of human weakness or spiritual attack. They're also a, a really important part of self-knowledge. You're going to learn quite a bit, quite a bit about 
what it is that I'm attached to. Am I attached to my uh, my reputation? Am I attached to being in control? Am I attached to um, uh, wanting to have a sense of security uh, in what I can manage and measure? All these different like sources of impulse inside of us that push us away from being peacefully present. These distractions uh, reveal to us things that, guess what? We can give them over to the Lord and we can repent of them. Okay, so then there's the third exertion. The third exertion is restoring order. So so that's the difference between, okay, picking up the trash, getting it out of the room that I'm praying in. The second is, okay, I'm going to put the books away. This is not trash, but they don't belong here. Let me get the, the school books and the backpacks uh, and the game that's on the floor and put all that stuff away. Well, the third part is restoring order. Restoring order. So distractions are no longer there, pulling me away from him. Restoring order means, okay, the coffee table goes over here. These pillows go back on these chairs, and these chairs get set like this. Ah, now here's the room I'm accustomed to. Everything is in its place. And when you restore order in prayer, then all of a sudden now, there's an ordering of your prayer time itself. And all of a sudden now, I realize there are these things that are not pulling me away from him, but there are these realities in my life I want to bring to him. And that takes some exertion. I'm going to start bringing and pouring out to him all those intentions and people and situations that are on my mind and heart. That's the stage of exertion. I'll continue with this in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. I'm talking about Eucharistic Adoration, and I'm really encouraging you as I'm developing these six stages of Eucharistic Adoration, reading some quotes from some great saints. It's a month dedicated to the most sacred heart of Jesus, and I, I desire for you so much to go deeper. It doesn't matter how far in you are, to go deeper into the heart of Christ that you would know his love. I want you to know his love. I, I want that for my kids. It was uh, kind of this amazing, like shocking, oh my goodness, how did that even happen? Um, where my kids were saying, Dad, we, you didn't really help us come to know the, the love and the heart of Christ for us. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Um, and so that was a couple interesting programs. Go to mycatholicfaith.org. Mycatholicfaith.org. You can listen to those programs about the, the, sh- the unexpected and like wow conversation I had with my kiddos. That was last week's uh, programs. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday. And um, uh, so some great programming there. And on go to iTunes. You can listen to the podcast. Sign up for it, the Dr. Tom Curran podcast. Um, we're going to continue to... Uh, promote these resources for free of charge on mycatholicfaith.org. Um, you can also get in touch with me if you would want me to be of service to you in buying or selling a home. It's part of my ministry now, my mission and ministry of helping families discover new life for themselves and for their kids especially. That's why so many times families are moving. Go to drtomcurran.com. You can get in touch with me there, drtomcurran.com. I love to help families of faith find their proper refuge in Egypt to find their proper place where they can help their kids flourish. Speaking of which, on Friday, really, really neat interview coming up with two of the founding members of the Core du Christ classical high school in the Catholic tradition that is opening up this fall in Coeur d'Alene. I love that. There are not enough classical schools in the Catholic tradition, in the in a faith-filled tradition around to handle the, the, the need and even the demand. So I'm thrilled that there's a new uh, high school open up. And so you're going to love this interview. It, it took the whole program. It's with uh, Kellen Clemens and um, the, uh, the person who is uh, taking the executive leadership of it, um, uh, her, a woman named Genevieve, and uh, they will be on talking with Carrie and me about uh, about their new school, uh, what led them to it, what's so distinctive about it, and just about the reality of classical schools. Um, if I had to summarize why this is so important, is that you want your kids to grow in faith. I know you do. I know because the pain of not having kids that grow up and practice their Catholic faith is the greatest suffering that parents 
I, that are my generation talked to me about is that their children and their grandchildren have left the practice of their faith despite all of the efforts that they did and the commitment that they made and the money they poured into their kids going to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school. And and the sad reality is that that's, that's continuing today, that the one of the best ways to have your kids lose their Catholic faith is to send them to Catholic grade schools and Catholic high schools, unless they're classical. And the reason is that classical schools focus on discipleship, forming kids as disciples, and traditional Catholic, traditional meaning the typical Catholic grade schools and high schools are just open to anybody to come in. And so you just don't get the same quality of Catholicism, the same quality of faith and faithfulness among the kids. You just don't. You get families that are there because they don't want their kids exposed to negative stuff in public schools, and you got the, they want to have rigorous academic education, but really they don't care about the faith dimension. It's just like, well, whatever the minimum requirement is, and the kids that are pouring into those hallways are the, the kids that are often coming from um, privileged situations, and what a great sadness that they're catered to by their, by their parents so often, and catered to in a way that they're not monitored and managed over their use of, use of social media. And it's just, it's terrible. It's just destructive for these poor kids' lives, just being, kids' innocence being destroyed, just the anxiety, and, and so many other things, just to, it's horrible. Well, okay, uh, tune in on Friday for that interview. Let's get back to the heart of Christ because that's what we want for our kids is the heart of Christ. Isn't that the thing, right? We want for our kids that they would know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Adoration. It, we have to get our kids to adoration. But it's not magic. It's not, um, it's not like a magic bullet. Right, So we brought our kids to adoration for many, many years, and I do believe that there were many seeds sown. I do believe that there, there were graces poured into our kids' lives in adoration that only bore fruit um, and, and, and is bearing fruit now. Um, so adoration is something that you can provide the example for. You can provide the wonderful example of um, going to adoration yourself and becoming a radiant witness to the gift of adoration, but that that's going to take exertion. That's going to, that's that second stage. So the third stage of adoration is extension. And uh, again, these six stages are the external stage. I'm in the presence of the Lord, but not present to the Lord. The exertion stage is I make an effort and take steps to pray, repentance, dealing with distractions, and then putting things in order. And you put things in order in prayer where you want to bring to the Lord your family members, your concerns, those things. You're emptying your heart. You're emptying your heart out in his presence. And that begins to then give you that experience of flow. That's the word, F-L-O-W. You begin to, things begin to flow. They're pouring out of your heart. And the awareness, listen now, what happens is, the awareness is if you're pouring your heart out before him in adoration, all of a sudden your heart becomes attuned as it is emptied out to the reality that there's someone gazing upon you. Jesus is here and he's gazing upon me with love. And once I've done other things, taken out the trash, put things away, restored the order, now time, now I can begin to flow in adoration where my heart is emptied out and now I'm with him and he is with me. That is the stage you want to get to. That's the stage where you can begin to have extended time of adoration, extended times in adoration. And that's where the, the, the time of adoration begins to flow. Time flies. Adoration at that point is, has become a habit. Repentance and taking out the trash, restoring order, those things happen more quickly. And there are longer and longer periods of being in the flow. You're, you're quickly able to empty your heart out. You're quickly able to just realize he's here. I'm with him and he's with me. That, that famous story, I believe it was the Curie of Ars seeing an old man in the back of the church sitting there and he asked him, um, what are you doing? How, you know, you're here. And he said, I'm praying. And he says, well, what, how do you pray? And he says, well, I look at him and he looks at me. I look at him and he looks at me. 
that idea of flow, I like the I like the metaphor of running or that analogy of running. When you first start off running, you're jogging, you're trotting, you're walking. and But the more you run, the more you get into the habit, the more that your body and your breath catch up to the idea that you're you're running. It's now built into you. And all of a sudden now, you can run longer. And you can have longer and longer periods where you're just all of a sudden in the flow. You get that sense of running and all of a sudden you're just flowing along. Uh, it's graceful, right? That that kind of running. Now you can have good days and bad days, but you end up having more good days, and and that's what happens in adoration. You you can have um, good days, and then you can have some days that are just harder. Um, but here's what happens when you have extended periods of flow in adoration. An extended period, I mean, half an hour, forty five minutes, even an hour you begin to see the effects of adoration without experiencing the cause. Okay, let me say that again. You begin to see the fruits, the the positive outcome of being in adoration without experiencing the actual cause of those fruits coming about. The other metaphor I like for this time of adoration is like being in the operating room. And when you're in that time of extension, the the extended periods of silent gazing upon the Lord, you're just literally gazing upon the Eucharist and you're just there. You're not moving. You're. I often find that I, I'm best uh, seated. And, and that's, if you look at contemplative monks, you know, they kneel for portions of their prayer, but they spend much of their time sitting in a, you know, with their hands on resting on their legs, uh, on their knees, um, and they're in this sitting in a, a still position uh, with their back straight, and and in that position, there is this sense of my body is quiet, my mind is quiet, my imagination is quiet. I'm not thinking about things. I'm not saying things. I'm just present to the Lord, who's present to me. That extension. Is transformative. Uh, you'll come away more peaceful, more trusting, more hopeful. All those fruits that come from adoration. And you're more radiant apart from adoration. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. Today I'm talking about Eucharistic adoration. I'm going through these six stages of Eucharistic adoration as a way of helping you realize that there's more. There's more than maybe you've thought of, more than than you were expecting in a time of adoration. We often will show up in adoration and we'll have, okay, I want to make sure I'm going to pray my rosary and I've got my books and I'm going to read and I'm going to reflect and journal. And it's almost as if we've got to fill the time. We've got to, like, and, and what can happen is we crowd out time of just being with the Lord, just being with Him in the more contemplative way. But if, in fact, you're going to grow in adoration, then these times must occur. And that's what the Lord wills. He wants that for you. He wants you to go deeper. He wants you to have that time of extension and the fruitfulness. But that's not the end. There's The next stage is the stage of excess, where extension leads to excess, where the experience of flow becomes the experience of of overflow. And that's something that I talked about recently with St. Philip Neri and his experience of being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit as fire that entered his mouth. And it was so much, it filled him to overflowing that he fell to the ground and was rolling over and was crying out, relent, relent, meaning it's too much, back off. It's too much. And that also happens in adoration. In adoration, something that is happening that is too deep for words, and you're encountering a God that is too much, too much for you to even express who it is that is here with you. And one of the signs of this excess of flow becoming overflow was, I don't want to leave. 
the time is gone. It's time for me to move on, but I don't want to. And I read a spiritual writer who said that the time you know it is uh, a sign from God that you are permitted to stop praying. Like, how long should I pray for? He said, the sign that God gives that it is time to stop praying is that you don't want to stop praying. And and it's that idea of, I didn't want to leave, but I knew I wasn't allowed to stay. I didn't want to leave his presence, but I knew I wasn't permitted to stay. And I can remember experiencing that one time. Uh, we were just starting off Eucharistic Adoration in our parish, and I was one of the leaders of it. And so the we had like a four-hour chunk of time set aside for adoration, and the first three hours, no one was signed up. So I brought like six books with me. <laughs> I came, I sat, and I started to pray, thinking, how am I ever going to get through this? How am I ever going to get through three hours of sitting here quietly in front of the Blessed Sacrament? Well, it was crazy because by the time I got through the third hour, I had barely looked at any of the books. And when someone came in for their hour, the last hour of adoration, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. I was like, yeehaw, this is so like powerful. It's too much. It's so much. I just want to stay in your presence, Lord. And it was, now you can go. Now you can go. It's like the transfiguration. When Jesus was revealed in his glory with Moses, with, uh, Moses and Elijah, what happens? Peter says, it's good for us to be here. Let's build a tent. He wants to stay. And what does Jesus say? Let's go. Now that you want to stay, now you're permitted to leave. So that might be a really interesting experiment for you to say to the Lord, I'm going to go pray and I'm going to pray until I don't want to leave. And that is kind of a, it's, a, it's again, I talk about a foreign concept because we tend to think of, well, if I put my hour in, it's sort of like an, you know, a penalty box. I'm in a penalty box. I've got, oh, I just got to go hang around with the, the living glorious Lord, King of the universe for an hour of adoration. Sheesh, what a, what a pain and suffering. Why couldn't I be watching videos on YouTube or Netflix or wherever? Uh, just do what I wanted to do. Why do I have to go to adoration for an hour? It's just crazy. Our thinking is crazy. But, you know, challenge yourself and say, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray and I'm not going to leave until until I, all that gets washed out of my system. All of that gets washed out of my system and then I, I actually don't want to leave. That excess stage, it's a real thing. And that's not the end of growing in adoration either. The next stage, the fifth stage, there's only two left, is the exposed stage. And uh, the exposed stage is when I transition from going to exposition, going to a time of adoration in front of the Blessed Sacrament being exposed, I transition from going to exposition to living an exposed life. Living an exposed life. What does that mean? Well, eventually, your time with the Lord in adoration becomes a turning point, a central hinge for your life. I begin to live towards exposition and from exposition, at least in the effects at least in the effects. What do I mean? Well, we begin to live the virtue of honestas. Honestas isn't just honesty. It's transparency. It's uprightness. And what happens is if we go to exposition, if we go to adoration and exposition, and we're there for extended periods and even excess in adoration, we begin to really live transparency in our lives. It becomes transparent who we are and what we're about. And you know what that also brings? <laughs> An awareness who, of who's not transparent. You spend your time in front of the exposed Lord of the universe, and he beckons you into living an exposed life in his presence. And then from that, in the rest of your life, you begin to recognize, you get to sense the clues of people who are hiding stuff. 
really very interesting. You begin to recognize who's having a second conversation behind their eyes. They're talking and they're looking at you with a smile on their face, but you know there's another conversation happening behind their eyes. They're not being transparent. You come to sense that. It's a fruit of uh, adoration is living this exposed life. And the last stage is the Eucharistic stage. And that's where we begin to live a life centered on the Eucharist. Centered on the Mass. We call the Mass, the sacred liturgy, the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the source and the summit and the center of our life of faith. But really, is it? Is it really the source of our life of faith, the summit of the life of our life of faith, the center of our life of faith? When really, you know, for most of us, it's one hour a week if it's that. And we, we grumble if it's beyond an hour. And in that hour, are we really living at our best? Like the highest, most devout and fervent expressions of faith are happening at Mass? I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. It doesn't look that way for, it's hard, you know, it's hard to measure on the outside, but it sure doesn't look that way. However, once our lives are changed in the presence of the Eucharistic Lord in adoration, it changes how we see and relate to what's happening at Mass. Once our lives are changed in the presence of the Eucharistic Lord in adoration, once we encounter his presence and his power and his transformation in our lives in adoration, it changes how we see and relate to what is happening at Mass. We begin to realize that we not only take and gaze at in adoration, but we take and eat. We receive Jesus in adoration. I'm sorry, in Mass, we receive His Holy Presence at Mass. And what do we begin to realize? We begin to realize if we receive the Lord in us, oh, wait a minute now, what's that liturgical vessel that receives the host into it? It's the monstrance. We begin to realize that we are monstrances. That's what we begin to realize, that you and I are a monstrance. And that means that we go forth from adoration and mass to live as Christ's presence in the world. I got to tell you, I can't think of, it's like, it, it's such an easy to understand solution, but it's so difficult for so many of us to implement and to live out making a commitment to regular adoration. It'll change your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your family. It'll change your kids. And yet we leave it on the sidelines. Christ is present. Jesus Christ, the living Lord, is present waiting to show himself to us. And we ignore him. We avoid being present to him in loving ways. Shame on us. Well, there you go. I hope and pray that that was helpful, those six stages of Eucharistic adoration. We go from the stage of external to the stage of exertion, then to extension, then to excess, then that exposed stage, all the way to the Eucharistic stage. That's where the Lord would shepherd us, into those different stages of adoration. And it'll change your life. Well, I hope that was a blessing to you. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day.